Released on Sunday, March 15th, 2015, This Agile Life, Episode 76, Contrivance of Humans. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm John Sextro. Joining me on this episode of This Agile Life, we have Lee McCauley. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going really greatly. How's it going for you? I am going splendidly for me. I'm glad. I, I, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I'm, I'm glad you're not on that exercise bike behind your head. Oh, no, no, that, that's been broken for at least a couple months. <laughs> that, that's just for show. It, exactly. It makes it look good. I see. Also with us back after a little bit of time off from the show, Nate Mackey. Hi, John. How's it Actually, going, Nate? That was on two episodes ago. Well, that's a, that's a few shows off. That's all right. Fair enough. That's one show off. And I wasn't here when you were on, so I, right. I missed you. Good to be back with you. Wonderful. I can't get enough Nate Mackey. <laughs> There's another guy I can't get enough of. Woody Zool is our special guest tonight. Hey, Woody, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show again. Oh, it's our pleasure. So we had Woody on a, a, a bunch of episodes ago. We talked a lot about mob programming, and Woody uh, introduced us to that topic and went over some of the finer details of that. Woody is starting a new job with Industrial Logic at the end of the month. He, I know he's really excited about that. Maybe we'll, we'll dig some of the details out on him about that. And uh, then we're going to talk about one of the subjects that is near and dear to Woody's heart, and that's no estimates. So Woody, once again, welcome back to This Agile Life. Well, thank you so much. I'm very pleased to be here. I just want to hear Woody say when you introduce him, there is no Woody, only Zool. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's my, that's my one nope. claim to fame. I know. Come on. What? Willie's shaking his head. You don't get the reference? I got the reference. I just didn't think it was that funny. <laughs> I'm sure get you get that a right. lot. That's totally I, legitimate. I get it in the uh, grocery store line and uh, sure. at the doctors and everywhere. The name uh, rings a bell with people. <laughs> so that's not a bad thing. So how did all this go down with Industrial Logic and Josh Karievsky? How'd you get that gig? Oh, well, if you don't mind me wasting most of the show, I can share, share that with you. Um, basically, over the last month or so, maybe six months or so, I've been noticing with the team that I work with that they need me even less than they ever did, and um, which was my goal all along. The idea that, um, that at some point they're just going to feel I'm you know, not bringing any value. So uh, one a little incident happened about three weeks ago where I had uh, I noticed something we needed to take care of. I didn't have to mention it. The team picked up on their own to do it. They took care of it. It was a two or three hour thing of getting some stuff organized. And when it was done, I just kind of started tearing up and uh, realizing that uh, they can do everything without me. They're totally self-managing, self-organizing team. So I took them to lunch and I told them what I what I saw. And I said, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. And they all kind of felt that they were probably ready for this. So this has been something that's at the base of my philosophy of, of working with people. And that is, uh, if you can, if you can contribute or learn, you probably should stay. But I believe right now that the team will grow better without me and I'll grow better without the team. So I needed something different to move to. And uh, I love uh, Joshua and the Industrial Logic uh, crew and their whole idea and what they do. So they were the first ones I uh, alerted to this, and they asked me to join them. So that's the story. Boy, that's a that's just a great story. We've been talking a lot about teams uh, evolving to the point where they don't need a coach or a, a full time Scrum master, Agile leader. And and that's just a great story to hear that your team evolved to that point and you they kind of pushed you out of the nest or you pushed them out of the agile nest and they flew away, right? No, I kind of think of it like um, 
they put me on the ice floe, made me comfortable, <laughs> and they're going to cast me off into the ocean. With the narwhals. So, that's pretty much it. But, uh, but let me put a, a different spin on that, really. They've probably been ready to do this for way more than a year. I, I was just reluctant to see it. Uh, I'm glad that I've now, you know, finally realized that. But, uh, yeah, they're a pretty stellar group of folks. That's great to hear. Well, congratulations on the new job. I'm sure we'll hear a lot of wonderful things from you as part of the Industrial Logic gang. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling I'm going to be extremely challenged uh, there to step up my game, and uh, that's that's part of what I need. All right, so let's start talking about no estimates, guys. We've talked about this in, in bits before, but it's nice to have one of the experts on to talk about this. What do you, <laughs> can you give an introduction to the topic of no estimates and the idea of no estimates? Yeah, so essentially, no estimates is a term um, that is a hashtag for use in Twitter that is uh, that I use for exploring the topic of alternatives to estimates of time, cost, and effort, or any of those things, for making decisions in software development. That is, ways to make decisions with no estimates. So it, it can mean a lot of things, and it obviously means a lot of things to a lot of people. But I just used it as a way to um, to, to circle around the people who are interested in discussing this idea. Uh, I first used it in a tweet about an article I wrote that was in response to someone who wanted to know, well, how exactly do you do this? And we, I think I'd like to talk about how later if you bring that up. But uh, in writing that article, um, it really was an example of how I didn't need to use estimates, estimates to make certain types of decisions for a particular project I worked on. And when I tweeted about it, I said, here's an example of using no estimates for making decisions. So that's how it started. It was purely, I would say, kind of a serendipitous or a kind of an accident. And once it, it seemed to catch people's attention, then, uh, and it actually led to many good things. Uh, so uh, it's, it's stuck. It's a sticky thing. And I'm glad for that. It's wonderful to see that the hashtag has stuck around. And boy, I mean, all you have to do is uh, a search on Twitter for the hashtag no estimates, and you'll have plenty of reading for days and days and days. Yeah, that's <laughs> unfortunately, maybe, but that's, that's true. And speaking of Twitter, I saw a tweet that you put out there the other day, Woody, about this week I had two people block me or some number of people block me and four Skype calls and, and, uh, and, and what was all that about? Oh, okay. Well, there's just kind of a fun thing people have been doing recently where they, they use a, some kind of a service to, to, uh, to, to tweet out their, their activity for the last week or something. You know, look, 12 people followed me and 32 people retweeted me and so on. And uh, so I just did a little play on that because what No Estimates about is about for me is that it leads to me meeting people and, and having friends. So I've met a lot of new people and I've made a lot of new friends through it. So that's what the four Skype convos is about. Is that almost every week, I, I've been talking about this in, in Twitter for something like um, two years uh, using that hashtag, uh, two and a half years, I don't know. And um, it's been about finding people who actually want to talk about it face to face. And the only way that we can usually do that, because everybody's all over the world, is through Skype or Hangouts or something like that. So that's, that's the win for me. Uh, so anybody that wants to, to talk with Woody Zool about uh, no estimates, they can just tweet you and, and maybe they'll get a chance to speak with you about it. Is that how it works? Yeah, I'm always hoping that, um, that whenever I have time, somebody will notice it and um, and and you know, commit to having a face-to-face -face conversation. I've had about 100 conversations. I haven't kept track of them, but essentially it's been two to four almost every week for at least two years. So that's uh, up to a couple hundred people. Uh, some weeks, nobody. But uh, I've loved it. It's, it's what I'm after. I want to talk to people and find out what they're thinking. And I like to have them question me, and I like to question them and uh, find out uh, what the possibilities are. 
it's about 190 more people than I've ever talked to in my life. Yeah, well, let's hope that's not true. <laughs> well, you see that, that room, you see that room John's in there? I think that's the only room he ever sees. Wow, <laughs> looks nice though. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a magneto kind of thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's my it's my fortress of solitude. Okay. That's pretty brave though to put yourself out there uh for people to to come and have a conversation about that, about no estimates. How has, what's been the general sentiment from the conversations that you've had? Oh, well, that's a good question because uh, it, it, it really almost always starts out with, well, what do you, what do you mean? And, and I shared a little bit that I just shared with you. And, and the next question often is, well, how would we do that? And um, which is a tricky question because it's very contextual. So the how of it is, we question the practices that we use. So in this case, it's estimates. So that gives us something to question. If we are, and this is a very important part of it, if we are using estimates without really understanding why, it's a great place to question. Let's learn why. And it can't stop with, because somebody asked me. You know, somebody's asking for estimates. That doesn't still tell us the why we're doing the estimates, so the why is up a level or two from that. It's really important for me to know what is the real purpose, because often when we do that, we'll find out that there's a better way to fulfill the purpose. Um, I've done a bunch of five whys experiments or, or questioning uh, exercises, uh, probably 30 or 40, either at sessions, at conferences, or uh, privately with people. And, and it it's always comes about down to just a few things, the real reason why we're doing estimates. Uh, if, it's, if it comes down to a reasonable purpose then, and, this, and the estimates are serving us well for that purpose, then it's, it's great. You know, let's use the estimates. But if it's not a good purpose or if the estimates don't serve the purpose well, that's a good thing to know as well. So have you have you had instances where you've talked to people and you've actually come out with with um, a situation where, OK, yeah, I think you should actually do estimates, because every time I've I've talked to people about this, um, there's almost always uh, an answer that does not involve estimates in the classic sense. Well, um, so. An important aspect of this to me is the questioning itself, is that uh, when I first started talking about uh, problems with estimates or issues I saw with estimates, um, I got a very um, forceful response from people that we just need to do them. Now, that's not in the workplace. I mean, that comes in the workplace, of course, all the time. You know, don't question what we're asking you for, just do it. Um, but I'm talking about it at, at conferences, at uh, Open Agiles or other uh, uh, code camps or whatever. I like to have, I have this old talk I used to give about Agile success. And one of the things that I, that I like to say is that um, we have to question the things that we have the most faith in, that we more, most truly believe more than anything else, because that's where our biggest blind spot is. We often... I so totally agree with you on, on so many levels, more than just uh, uh, software development. But go ahead. Well, that's the point. That's it right there. That goes for everything, even not just software development. Um, but I'm mostly, I would say, uh, involved in software development. So my opinion in other realms probably doesn't count as much. Um, my, my own feeling for myself is this. If I see a problem with something, I want to get to the bottom of it. And it's often the things that we go, well, it can't be that that we probably need to look at first, you know, because those are the things that we're blinding ourselves to. So uh, I don't know. Uh, you better ask more questions or I'll just ramble on forever. So I actually do want to get a little bit directly into the how of it, because I I have had an experience with um, a team that the the reason why estimates were done and and. As a consulting, as a consultant and working for a consulting company, um, 
a lot of cases, the the estimates are so that uh, the customer has a reasonable expectation of of what they're going to end up paying for whatever it is that we're trying to build for them, right? Even though we don't necessarily have all the information up front, they still want at least a ballpark of how long, how much is it going to cost, right? And yes. So, so let's take that very basic sort of situation and talk through how we could do that in a no estimate sort of way. Could you do, could you uh, try that? Okay. Now there are several different schools of thought on how you can apply some kind of no estimates thinking, but I believe in this case, the way that I think about it for myself is we've only gotten up to the level uh, in a five whys that is starting to show the dysfunction is that we, that we believe we have to know how much something's going to cost before we're willing to buy it. So th there is no replacement in my approach or the way I think about it in a no estimate way. If we still have to answer a question as to how much will this cost? What they really want often isn't an estimate, but a price. And so people then use these kinds of, I would consider sort of tricks. Well, we'll give them a range. It costs as little as this and as much as that. Who really cares how little it cost? Just guarantee it won't go over the higher price, okay? You just do it as cheap as you can, but, but, but don't go over that higher range. Okay, and then once we give them that, we want to give them a confidence level. Oh, we have 80% confidence that we're correct with this estimate. So these things are just estimates on our estimates. And so an estimate's an approximate anyways, which implies or really states an approximate means there is kind of a range, about $2 million. So if our industry is geared towards the idea of we have to know what this will cost and what the benefit will be before we can do it, we're putting off or, or maybe that's not quite the right word, but we're ignoring things that are way more important. And it comes down to this, in my opinion, we have to get really good at software development and then see what management mechanisms we still need to put around it, not the opposite. So I think a lot of the purpose for those estimates and, and knowing, trying to know ahead of time what something will cost is sort of based on the idea that we aren't very good at that. And so we're always way off. So we need some legal stuff to surround our business with. And if we could just find some option, and I think that the industry is headed in the direction of a good option, if we could find some option that allows us to deliver value all the time, very quickly, we can easily steer to a good result. And we care much less about knowing how much will it cost to get something. Now, that's hard for a lot of people to, to understand. I'm not asking uh, for people to agree with me, actually. I, I'm really looking for people who are sort of along their path far enough to say, hey, that kind of makes sense to me. And then when I have a conversation with them, I build on it. I learn more. What are you trying? What are we trying? You know, we share those things. That's what I'm interested in. Does that make sense to you? It's, it's, it's like the, it's the wrong question. If these people need an estimate, they need a cost, then uh, it's a, our only choice is to say we want customers like that and that that's a good system to use. I'm not sure that it is. And I think that whole model needs to be scrutinized. And estimates are simply a symptom of a possible problem upstream somewhere. And that's sort of what I've been sharing right here right now is that idea. It's, it's not the estimates. There's nothing wrong with an estimate. An estimate is just somebody's uh, calculated uh, uh, approximate uh, judgment of what something might cost. There's other ways to do estimates, but that's how we typically do it. Often it's just a guess, not always, but it's based on, you know, best effort or best understanding of something. And of course, we're trying to get that best understanding at the time when we have the least amount of information to, to be able to make a reasonable uh, guess or a reasonable calculation. Uh, we're just getting started, guys, and we're, we're practically out of time. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, the... Part of the problem comes to me when is when we're dealing with people who are who are not accustomed to software development and and how it works and um, who are used to buying something that has a sticker on it and yeah. is for a particular price and so it's very hard to communicate to those people why estimating is is um, 
is so deceptive? Um, why giving them a number for something that you really don't, uh, nobody understands yet is might give them some idea of where it could end up, but could be completely wrong in either direction. And uh, so you're speaking to something that's very important. I don't mean to cut you off there, but it's this, we want a certainty about the future. We want to be able to control the future. And when we get a price or for work that we feel is reasonable and then we can make a decision. But it's one thing to go into the department store to buy a, uh, a television set. Do they still call them television sets? Or let's say a refrigerator. They still call them refrigerators. Um, well, yeah, there's a price right on it. We don't go up to and say, how much do you estimate this refrigerator will be? Well, there's the price right on it. But if you went in there and said, I want a replicator, uh, like I saw on TV the other day, and I ask it for tea, Earl Grey, hot, and it just makes it for me. And, and, and it materializes out of nowhere. What's that going to cost? Well, that's an absurd example, of course. But that's sort of a little bit of what software development's about. The requirements for that refrigerator can be seen in the refrigerator itself. We can open it up and measure how much it holds. We can look in the freezer compartment. We won't know ahead of time how quick the dang thing will freeze up, but we're going to guess, hopefully we're buying a good brand. It's going to work okay. That's the world a lot of people live in. I'm not suggesting I have an answer for that. That's why I want this conversation to be happening in our industry. The first time ever I talked about this, essentially, and this was, it was a very calm little talk I was giving on the kinds of things we need to question. I was actually, uh, to some degree, uh, overshouted at, I don't know if that's the right word because I wasn't shouting, but uh, by the audience who started arguing with each other about why we need estimates. And there was three different ideas about, no, that's not what we need them for. We need them for this. Well, that doesn't work. This is what we do. You know, it's, it's a contentious topic and we need to work on that. Well, what's the next step for people once they acknowledge that there are no guarantees with estimates because the definition of an estimate is a guess. How do we evolve from a place where we need estimates to a place where we need them less or not at all? Okay. Um, well, first of all, this started out for me 15 years ago in software development. Prior to that, I used some of these ideas in, in manufacturing because uh, I owned a couple of little what I would consider custom manufacturing companies over the years and some other things. But the basic idea I noticed in software, uh, 15 years ago, I took a job and that job uh, was to manage a small crew of people because the main guy had to go and fly to some customers to, to get some requirements uh, nailed down. And as I worked with them, I was very thrilled to start learning their process. But now that I look back on it, I would consider what they were doing was proto agile. It was before agile. It was, just before the first books on extreme programming, I think, were, uh, were published. And, um, but it was an amazing thing. They weren't using estimates. They were, uh, the customers that they worked with um, were basically paying for the time of the shop, for the time of all the developers, a, a weekly rate, so to speak. At least that's my recollection of it. And they were getting an awful lot done. I won't go into details of all that, but essentially they were doing all the things we know of as, as Agile now. Uh, customer collaboration, um, uh, working software being delivered rapidly, responding to change as we discovered things. And it was a big time about individuals and interactions. The main guy would just fly to the customer, quickly learn from the right people there what was the stopping point or the blocking point on their project communicate that back, fly back. And as soon as he arrived, we went over a quick uh, tentative design and we started coding. And by the end of the first day, we had stuff we could start testing and or delivering. Over two week period or so, uh, we'd be ready to move on to the next thing. So without going into any more details on that, I saw this, what I considered a really wonderful way of working. And I also was patting myself on the back because I thought that I finally am in a in a world where people understand what's important. And then I went, that was a three month contract. I went off to another job 
where uh, it was very much more traditionally managed. They were trying to do a, a spiral model, but an interesting thing happened uh, on the way to no estimates. And if you would like, I'll share that part with you. Oh, absolutely. They were doing six-week iterations. And I won't go into the specifics of it, but they were trying to do something that was like a spiral model, uh, which is sort of okay, but it doesn't lead to having anything deliverable. It leads to having some chunk of a project done. It's more about getting chunks of the project done. And at the end of every six weeks, they'd have sort of a lessons learned. Do you remember those? That was sort of popular back in the day. And um, these lessons learned, two main things would show up. The first one was the requirements weren't really locked down, so they kept changing things during this time. We have to get better at locking things down. And the other was our estimates were way off partly because they weren't locking things down, but partly because we had no idea how long these things would take. So the takeaway from the meeting, the first one, was we have to get better at knowing the estimates up front and telling everybody you can't change them while we're working on it. Very non-agile. The other one was we need to get better at our estimates. Well, the main managers and a lot of the people on this project had been in this for quite a while and worked for some huge firms that focused on doing things like estimates. There were 200 developers there. Um, so yeah, they, maybe they can get better at it. And I'm always okay with the idea that the first one is free. We notice this is a problem. Let's try to get better. Well, at the end of that next six week cycle, we had our lessons learned. And what we discovered, the two main things were that our requirements were constantly changing and we need to get better at locking them down and understanding what we're going to do up front. And the estimates were no good because of those things, and we're not very good at estimates. So we got to get better again, and everybody buckled down to do that again. Now, the first one's free in my book. The second one is showing us that we have a pattern. We can never see a pattern from one, right? But we can start saying there might be a pattern when we see two. But dang, on the third one, there's a pattern. And of course, that's what happened after the next six weeks. So that's the end of that story almost. That started me thinking, and I brought it up in the meetings there. It didn't come to any end. But the idea that, hey, we're not looking at the problem here, guys. We're looking at a symptom. We're looking at a symptom and we're dealing with it as if it's the problem. The changing requirements and having to lock it down is a solution. The locking it down is a solution to a symptom. The we need to get better at estimates because we're not very good at them, is dealing with the symptom, is that we're probably trying to make our decisions based on the wrong things. Maybe, maybe not. I look on estimates as merely being a smell. Now, I hope you guys are all aware of the term smell in software development, right? It doesn't mean there's a problem. It means there's a hint that there might be a problem. So if we take estimates as being a hint that there might be a problem, then we can kind of start following that trail down and finding the root cause of the problem. But if we don't take, if we're not aware of that being a smell or the possibility of even being a smell, then we won't be able to, to solve that ever. So that's what's important to me about the no estimates is if we are, I call this, you know, the cycle of no improvements. You know, we are continuous non-improvement. And so if we get trapped in a cycle of continuous non-improvement, we have to stop. We have to look and determine, pay attention. Why do we have to keep trying to solve the same problem? It may be it's just a symptom. And so is, are you espousing that the, the ultimate solution is to get rid of the estimates altogether? I think that's ultimately the, the panacea of what some people see as no estimates, right? No, not at all. And that's not what I'm proposing at all. Matter of fact, there are many good uses for estimates. But I'm talking about a very specific kind of estimate. This is the estimate for time, effort, cost for doing a certain chunk of software development. We use estimates for many other things, and it's fine in those cases. But even like everybody always brings up, I don't know why, well, if I'm going to get my kitchen remodeled, how many people have got their kitchen remodeled, for goodness sakes? But I hear this one all the time. If I'm getting my kitchen remodeled, I want to know what it's going to cost. Well, okay. How much are you willing to pay to find out what it's going to cost? Are you willing to pay a very high price, or do you want to have a free estimate? Because once they start ripping out your cabinets and yank out the sink, if they find out there's mold in the wall and rotten 
boards in the floor, you're probably going to pay a lot more than a kitchen remodel to get that thing put back together. And you can't just shove the cabinets back in because they just yanked them off the wall using using a, a sledgehammer and a, and a pry bar. So, you know, I would put this in a whole different frame. What if there's a different way to go at it? So this isn't about getting rid of estimates. This is about noticing when we're in this cycle of non-improvement or no improvement is how I'd like to say it. And then following the tracing that up and following it to where, where's this coming from? Why are we doing these estimates? And if this isn't serving us well, can we find some other way to do things? It's simple in my opinion, but obviously there's few people who agree. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So Woody, uh, one thing that as you were speaking there, it uh, occurred to me is that I think what you're trying to get at as well, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you see no estimates as a class of, uh, of conversations that should be going on around agile development. And, and no estimates just happens to be the one with it's the lightning rod, but it leads to all these others. For the moment. You know, this is just one of many things because the, the, the whole reason there's an Agile manifesto and people are trying to, you know, uh, learn about Agile uh, has been because of many failures that have occurred. Uh, people being burnt out, the sustainability aspect of it, complicated projects that, are, that, that cost way too much, uh, don't deliver anything of value and cost way too much. Um, they were all those things were estimated in those early days, you know, not that's like the between days, I guess, you know, in the 90s. So, yeah, it's, it's this is just one thing. This is only one little bit. And estimates were just a smell. I like to be able to talk about it. Anybody who wants to talk about it, I invite them to come and talk with me. If they don't like me, they don't need to talk with me. They can talk with someone else. But let's be talking about it. And by the way, I don't care if you are completely against my ideas. Just talking about it gets it in front of people. It keeps it in front of people. If you hate me, tweet that. I love it. Because the more attention we get to this topic, the more likely people will be talking about it. And if the end result is things don't get any better, at least we gave it a try. And so that's what, what I'm for. What are you yes, finding sir? are some of the root causes for estimates? That if estimates are a symptom, what are, what are the root causes that you're, you're seeing? So... One example is, we, which was brought up earlier here, we need to know the cost of this so we can decide whether we want to do it or not. So that's not even a root cause. That's, that's an in-between because that's getting us up to the path of what is business really about. So let's just make an example. Um, let's make an example like this. I, I'm a salaried employee where I'm working. That means I have a, a specific income. If I want to buy something, I have to know I can afford it because I only have so much money coming in. Or I can do like my dad told me when I was a kid. He said, go get another job. You know, you want to buy that more expensive uh, mini bike, uh, get some more hours, go get to pull some weeds, you know. And so if you get the what I'm saying here is when you have this fixed amount of money, you, you have to determine can I get the thing I want with the money that I've got or find something you can't afford? Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Is that what business is? Is that an appropriate decision in business? Is that the kind of decision we need to be making? To just decide whether you can afford something or not? Yeah. Can we afford this? Based on what we think our budget is, what we want to spend, we want to make a decision based on what money we have about something we want to do. Right. That seems like only half of the question or part of the question. Maybe it's less cool. Tell me the other half. The, le the, the next part would be, what are we going to get for what we're buying? Okay. Let's put both of those into the mix. We're going to buy this. We can afford this. What's wrong with that picture in business? One of the things that comes to my mind, Woody, is what's the value for the business to invest the money into that product? What Because if you understand what the value is, if I know that if I create this piece of software, I can generate uh, $30 million worth of, of revenue over the next two years, then I don't have to worry so much about what it's going to cost me, right? I could I could spend $2 million 
and say, sure, that's great because it's, it's a small percentage of what my value proposition is for doing the work. And there's all these people today that are talking about stopping, stopping these conversations about dollars for hours and starting to talk about value and, and a percentage of the value. Well, okay. So there's always a risk that what we thought we would get from something, we won't actually. It's funny you bring up the 30 million because it was not very long ago that somebody proposed a project that they felt would bring a $30 million additional value to a company that I was talking with. Uh, and I, I, I don't mean to be trapping you in this conversation, but first of all, we, the, the value estimate is way more difficult than the cost estimate. So if we know, if we do this work, we're going to make $30 million, it almost doesn't matter how much we're going to pay for that work because it's self-sustaining. It, whatever we pay for it, if it's going to make us more than we're getting in, then you know, why, there's no, not much decision to make. We could say, well, we have limited resources, but if it's paying for itself, do we have limited resources? So maybe, maybe I'll get to the end of this. I don't, I don't want to make you guys think too hard this late at night. But here's the thing. I've been in business kind of much of my life, and it's not about how much we think we can spend, but how much we can generate ongoing. If we can do a little bit today that increases our income a little bit tomorrow, we can do as much software development as we want, as long as we're always generating more and more and more. It just has to be sustainable, as a matter of fact. Now, lots and lots of people, business people, much smarter than me, will argue I'm, this is baloney. So I'm fine with that. You know, this is the way I see it. It's that it isn't about, do we have enough money to do this project? It flips the concept over. We haven't yet learned how to deliver sufficiently well, tiny little, little bits of things that deliver value quickly. If we got good at that, every project would be self-sustaining. As soon as we recognized after a few sprints or whatever you want to call them, uh, we don't do sprints, but after a few iterations or a few weeks, if we discovered we can't find a way to generate a little bit of value, we might start saying, let's move off to something else. Let's take what we've learned here and do something else. So what you're talking about there, Woody, is is specifically about not just developing software uh, and and doing that at a at a uh, reasonable rate, but also developing it and deploying it to to a to be able to monetize it. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. So the basic idea is that where our skills have to be change. That's why we can't say what would we do instead of estimates to answer the question, how much will this cost you? Now, there are people that are doing that as well. You're aware of uh, Vasco Doherty, probably, and he uses a model where after the first few weeks, he can project out pretty well what it's going to take to do some certain amount of work that we've already set out to do. It's not the model I follow, but I value any attempt to do something other than estimates as an experiment. And he's had some pretty good success, and he has a very, very compelling uh, set of stories that are based on real-life experiences that people have had uh, at some pretty big companies. So, um, yeah, it's about looking at this from a different point of view. If we think of software development as being a cost center where we need to control the costs, we're pretty much losing the value of it as a value-generating uh, mechanism. And we, when we say we only have so much money, then we're sort of admitting um, we don't have a way to make sure this thing's going to pay. I've worked on many projects that, I, I don't know how many, but many, where when you got to the end of it, nobody really wanted it. Nobody really used it, both internal and external things. And no matter what you tell people that, hey, we should try and deliver a little bit early, and start discovering this, it's hard to make that case. That's why I want us to talk about these things. Let's see what we can do. So I've had, I've written, I've written several examples of things I've done. And, uh, but maybe we'll get to the how sometime around here and, and why I'm reluctant to put too much effort into thinking about the how. Well, before you do that, I, I'm uh, another reason I was thinking of for estimates or a root cause for why people think they need them is trust um, that they, they feel like they need something that they can hold up later just when things go wrong to say, but you told me it was going to be this. 
and and they they whether they actually do that or not they feel like they need that at least yeah, that yeah. seems like that's oh, yeah. the experience we've had I don't think that's uncommon. I think that's actually a, a reality. That's contracts exist because people have disappointed others in business transactions. Right. We even have marriage contracts, you know. So, yeah, that's a trouble. I can't fix that for people, but I do believe that we don't need trust. Is something that's a tricky thing. We don't need as much trust as we think we do. We need a mechanism where it's hard to break our trusts because we're always delivering the software. And when we're not, we can make a decision without losing much. We don't pay so much to see. And it's really, it's not about, I, okay, part of what you're talking about is pushing the risk down to the people who least can handle the risk. If we start at the top and we want to, we basically want the people at the bottom, which are the ones who are going to do the work, to make a commitment to something that we can hold them to later, we kind of have a broken model anyways. I think it's that's broken. This has got to be collaboration. And that's why I like Agile so much. It's about customer collaboration. Let's work together and let's find a model where we can work, where you feel comfortable week after week because you're getting something for your efforts. I've worked on projects where literally people stopped asking for estimates because they were just trying to keep up with coming up with the next thing they wanted us to work on. I love that. Matter of fact, the biggest payoff to doing something like this no estimates concept, and that means if you physically can deliver something frequently into real use, we start steering towards the things of real value, and we do a lot less of the things that have no value. And then we become bored with the project. And that is the customer, the managers, the, the product owners, whoever, start getting bored with that product. They say, well, that's enough. We got this other thing we want to work on. And we've only spent 20% of what we would have traditionally spent if we would have built all the things nobody cares about. I call that the 80-20-80-20 rule. You may have heard me talk about that before. You've heard of that Pareto, Pareto principle, right? Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, I learned about it a long time ago, and um, I think I could be wrong. It, its roots come from somebody who observed that... Um, 80% of the peas in the garden came from 20% of the pea pods. So that's a pretty startling number. Well, why, why, are, why does this little bit produce so much and hardly anything else is producing something? Now, whether that's true or not, I don't care much. I like the idea. That's a nice place. I like the things that come from the garden. It's a good know. story anyway. It's a good story. And, you know, if you look it up and find out I'm wrong, just don't tell me. Okay. <laughs> Because I'm such a stubborn person. Uh, my mind is unchangeable. Okay. So, of course, that was a joke. But believe me, in Twitter, someone will quote me on that. Yep. Okay. And forget to mention it was a joke. Okay. So, taking that, I heard Jeff Sutherland speaking at um, one of the uh, Scrum or Agile conferences recently, where he said, well, why don't we just do the 20% and not the 80% that doesn't bring much value? And there's a reason for that. It's because we can't tell ahead of time. We have to discover that. We can guess at the ones that will bring value, but we don't know that. It's always a guess. You know, if I knew that I can make $50 million by doing this $10 million worth of work, there'd be nothing stopping me. You'd do it every you know? time. We would do that every time. We can't know that. So we often inflate what we think we'll get just so we can get the project going. But let, we won't go down that path right now. Um, so here's the point. Um, if we could discover that the 20% that's going to bring the most value of the features, the 20% of the features, what if we could, what if we could discover the 20% of any particular feature that will deliver 80% of why we want that feature? So we're going to end up hopefully doing something as close as possible to only 20% of the features. And we're going to do only something like 20% of the work expected out of each feature or the, or the work we would have put into each feature. Then we got this, what I call 80-20-80-20. I don't explain it very well, but you brilliant people out there can figure that out. You can um, always send Woody a tweet if you want some more explanation too. Yeah, we can Skype for a while and I'll, I'll really go off the deep end. So Woody, I've got an example where I use estimates today, and I was wondering if maybe we could use that as a springboard into the how. Sure. Today on my team, we're using estimates uh, so that people have a level of comfort 
when they commit to work over like a week, a week's worth of work. So they look at what they've done before. They come up with um, a relative estimate, and then that gives them some sense of of a reality check in terms of I can I can I'm comfortable committing my time on the project, my hours on the project towards this goal, and I feel relatively confident that I'll be able to accomplish what I am committing to. So if I was going a no estimates route, how could I? How could you? How would you coach me to replace? The estimates with no estimates. What is the purpose of that? Why why are we doing that? What is it? Why would we want to do that? We don't want the work to roll over. Why don't we want work to roll over? Uh, because it appears that we're not not accomplishing the amount of work that we plan to accomplish. So if our measurement is that we accomplish the amount of work we set out to do, then all we got to do is always bite off a lot less. And stretch it out to the last minute so that we can deliver it as per what everybody thought we should. I'm a little unclear as to what the real purpose of that is. It's like we, what we want to do is know how much we can do in this next week so we can see if we did that much in the next week. So what is that what we're trying to get? I'm not sure what we're trying to get there. So, so let me jump in here because I think that uh, I did this when, when I was in high school. Um, I did only enough work to be able to get a high enough grade that my parents wouldn't yell at me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, I think that's what's happening. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm certain that there, there's a lot to that, right? But we're trying to come up with a, 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 an amount of work that is attainable without people killing themselves, but without also without uh, loafing in the, in the hammock in the backyard. Maybe Lee, if that's what you're doing in your spare time as a high schooler, I don't know, but you know. So, so the question then is, because uh, I'm still, I do hear this a lot, but but I am, uh, I'm still kind of wondering about it. Um, the question for me is, what benefit is that bringing us? What what is the good of that? So, you're, if you're saying we're kind of we're going to do this so that we don't goof off, is that what we're saying? To some extent, but I also think that we're trying to. We're trying to do a little bit of future future predicting on when when a feature is going to be finished. So what I'm proposing in the way I approach this. So if you if you knew everything you needed to do to get that feature done, then this might help a little what you're what you're suggesting. But I believe software development is mostly discovery. And what we need to get good at is the opposite of trying to figure out how much we can get done on something we don't know what it is yet. And I think I already mentioned this saying of mine, it's in the doing of the work that we discover the work that we must do. If we knew ahead of time, it's probably too mundane for us to be bothering doing anymore. If we if our work is so mundane that we can accurately estimate it, then maybe we need to figure out how to automate that instead of us doing it over and over and over. So, you know, like, in the old days, if we found we were writing a bunch of CRUD objects, you know, uh, database access and creation and the retrieval and whatever, well, then let's automate that. We don't need to write that over and over. We understand the pattern. It can be generated. And a lot of people do that nowadays or use systems that don't even need the code for it because they can extrapolate out of the conventions you're using as to what to do. So... If it really could pay off for us, that somehow we're going to get better and better at guessing how much it's going to take to get a certain amount of work done, then maybe keeping track of all that's useful. But what I'm suggesting is that we need to get really good at software development so that doesn't matter anymore. So if we're delivering something to, uh, into production and real use every day, the feedback loop is so short that we're going to start discovering when things are valuable or not very quickly. And that's way more useful because figuring out how to work on the right things is way more useful than figuring out how to work on the things within a schedule. So, John, I have to ask, uh, do, do, do your people actually really loaf? Because I, I don't know of a software developer that actually loafs. They actually enjoy what they're doing. And so they will do it at the rate that they can every time, no matter what they're doing. Wait, talk about putting someone on the spot. 
what is the what is the amendment that you plead when you don't want to uh, incriminate yourself? <laughs> the fifth. I I plead the fifth amendment. So so let's use let's use this as a very good example of why I think estimates are a smell. Because we do have these kinds of issues we need to deal with, we need to do a five whys on why do we feel we need to hold people to the fire to get this commitment? Because most commitments really are about compliance. Why do we feel we need that? Now, I'm not saying that that's true in anybody's particular situation. And a little bit of goofing off in Slack is actually useful inside of a software development team, keeping everybody interested. Finding things to be interested in is very important. If what we need is to get everybody's nose to the grindstone, we're working in a broken world. We need the exact opposite. And I have found it rarely is that people are not motivated. Yeah. So let me be clear. It doesn't have, that's not, that's not what, that's not the why as to why this is going on. I think the real why is that if, if I have, if I have a product owner that you know his 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 Fizzbuzz product is out there, and he wants to release the next the next feature for Fizzbuzz. He wants to send out some marketing emails, and you know he's got to work with a copywriter to get some of that stuff done. And so sure. you're you're trying to get a couple of threads of activity to kind of land in about the same time frame, though they don't have to. You know, you can, I'm not going to be able to tell you it's going to be Wednesday, March X that it's going to be done, right? But I want to have some knowledge that, hey, in the next month or so, this thing's going to be ready. Okay. So in this case, what we're exposing is that if we can work rapidly and deliver uh, bits of value quickly and continuously, then it's a lot less important for our software development to know when will something be done because something's done every day. If we need to know when will will a full feature be done, we're kind of breaking the 80-20-80-20 rule where we're trying to discover what's the least we can do that satisfies the need. What's the least we can do? Because honestly, a project with 50 features that could have had 10 is 50 times harder to maintain, 50 times harder to move forward with. It's a thousand times harder to move forward with. That there's a compounding each new feature you add. Simplicity, simple is much better. 50 features is often way too many, but we are in this world where we think we need to market those features, but there is a gap or there's a, a problem here, which we would discover sort of a theory of constraints thing. Where's the bottleneck? If the bottleneck is that marketing needs a long lead time to be able to do well, maybe marketing could take advantage of some lean thinking and figure out how to be prepared to deliver a, a good marketing campaign as soon as something's ready to be moved to the market. If we have these long gaps, and I've, I've worked in marketing stuff myself, um, I think that we kind of trick ourselves into thinking that that's the way it has to be. So again, if we need to know ahead of time, then we can just say, hey, we're all done. As soon as you're ready with your marketing campaign, you can deliver that too. You know, it's that simple. If we're trying to beat the market to the thing, the marketing needs to get on board with being ready to market anything because they should know what we're working on. And they should know at the minute it looks like it's enough to sell that they should be ready with their campaign. I'm not knocking marketing guys. I love them. You know, that's a lot of what business is about is, is getting the word out. Uh, the, question, the question is, can, can they adjust their campaign as you go the same way you add features as you go? Can they... Can they be an agile marketing campaign? Yeah. Is there a way to do marketing lean? I bet you there's a lot of people writing books about that right now. Or um, if, if there's a big, if there's a big medical convention coming up and I'm selling a, a piece of medical software that I want to be able to, I want to be able to demonstrate this particular new feature. You know, it's one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, one of the aspects of the Git Kanban game is that there's a, there's a conference coming up and you have to have this feature ready or, bust you know how do you deal well, with I, that i kind of guess that that that's a slightly broken business model i'm not saying i have an answer how to fix these kind of broken business models but i do think that we need to look at better ways of doing business that might be a, a dream world or something but realistically why not think about it why do we have to say the way the world is today is the way it should always be we can't change 
imagine if business, the way it was done 80,000 years ago, we were still doing it that way. I grunt at you, hand you a rock, you grunt back, give me a stick. You know? Or hit you in the head with the rock. You better watch out. I'm mean. That, that's happened to me a lot. <laughs> so you get my picture. It's like, come on. What we do for business today has only been around a short while in comparison to how long humans have been around, depending on your particular denomination, I suppose. But, um, you know, these ideas were, are just contrivances of humans. If we contrived that we need, that we can manage. Uh, production only through estimates, then we could potentially contrive to do it without estimates. It's a, it's a guess always, no matter what, what tomorrow will bring. I have a feeling a few, uh, I think it was four years ago, I just heard there was this nuclear disaster, you know, in Japan. And if they would have known ahead of time that they could have designed their system a little differently, which is basically they planned for the highest possible tide problems, and it didn't turn out to be sufficient. Um, boy, I think they probably would have thought about doing it differently. I would hope that, that anybody would have. But we, we are often surprised by things, this sort of a black swan thing that you hear about. I don't have answers for that. Gosh, if people are turning to me for answers, um, I'm turning back to them and saying, hey, we, we share in this burden together. Let's figure these things out. If you insist we can't do better, then maybe I need to be talking with someone else. But but at least we're giving it a shot. So maybe I'll bring up something that I think will end up being my, uh, my, uh, what did you call it at the end where we, where we do a the wrap up, the wrap yeah. up where we, the, where we share an idea. Yeah. Um, I was exposed to this book by uh, Tobias Mayer recently. Tobias is a, uh, you probably know who he is. Mm -hmm. He wrote the people scrum book. Are you familiar with that? Yes. Um, he had, he, he had tweeted out about a book. It's called The Answer to How is Yes. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's by Peter Block. And this is why I'm really reluctant to give people how about things like mob programming and no estimates. If you instantly always jump to the how question, you're really missing the more important thing, which is sort of the why question. And all I'm asking is people, are answering for themselves the why question in their environment. If estimates are real and useful for you, then do them. But know that they're real and useful for you, rather than guessing at it. Or the really, if I'm against anything, it's the default dogmatic use of estimates for making decisions. And this is what it comes down to. It's easy to prove, I think. That an estimate makes it easy for us to make a decision. I estimate this project will cost a million dollars, and I estimate we'll get back $30 million. I estimate this project will cost us $30 million, and it will get us back a million dollars. Which one should I do? Well, it's easy to make that decision. I want the one that gives the big return. But I don't believe that estimates give us a way to prove we're making a good decision. I'm more interested in good decisions than making decisions. Let's make good decisions. That's what this is about. And if somebody later on proves me wrong, I don't know what there's to prove. I'm just asking the question. If somebody wants to prove that we shouldn't be questioning, they're, they're kind of up against it because that's sort of what the world's about. Um, so, and I don't really care. So, you know, we just, I, I, this is interesting to me. Might not be interesting to anyone else. So, Woody, I have to say that... Uh... I don't think that that either or sort of decision in business is that common. Uh, oh, I man, most... I come upon it all the time. But please really, go ahead. You, 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 you see things where, where we could either spend, uh, we have two different possible things that we can spend on. And, and uh, one is going to make us 30 million and cost one. And the other one's going to make, you know, and you have two different ways that you could go on it. This is much of what the budgeting uh, process in many companies is about. We have managers who have people who are proposing projects. We're going to buy, a, we need to replace our fleet of trucks. 
It's costing X dollars to maintain those trucks. We need some new ones. The new ones uh, meet some new regulations we have to do. And then somebody else is saying we need to buy some new machines for this department. And we need to get software for that department. And we need to write software for this other thing. Those are all looked at by teams that look at what things we might do and determine at what level we want to do these things. And that's that's sort of the way a lot of budgeting I should put it slightly differently. That's sort of the budgeting process is we're trying to decide what can we what are we going to spend our money on? So I think I, on the I use, on the business level, you're right. I think from a software development standpoint, though, I, I don't see two different software uh, projects being decided that way. And and maybe it's just I haven't I haven't been experienced enough in that kind of area. Most of uh, the time it's we have a problem and we need a solution. And and that's this is the solution and it's really about how much are we going to save or make or whatever with this solution to a problem um, right so so i'm i'm using a common example that people have brought up to me should we do project a or project b but it's also should we attempt a fuller solution of problem a or a lesser solution of problem a or should we even try to solve problem a what's what are the what are the workarounds what can we do instead? You know, so we're still trying to make these decisions. I just was using the A over B example. There are many other examples. So that's just a common one. Uh, but very often in, in the overall business, we're making decisions across many departments with many concerns. So I think these are typical problems, whether it's just one project, software project against spending the same money to build a new building. You know, and there are areas where sometimes. Um, Knowing all the costs up front are absolutely wonderful, uh, and I don't have a problem with that. It's where you can actually know it that it can be a benefit. It's much easier with, we're going to buy three trucks. How much do trucks cost? We need these requirements. You know, we have these requirements. We go out. We get people to give us estimates, which are really prices on what they're willing to send us, sell us a truck for. That's an easy problem to solve. But now we want to say, or so should we do this software project? How much will that cost us so we can make this decision? I, I think overall, this is a conversation I'm glad that we're having in our industry right now. The no estimates idea is let's make sure if we're using estimates, they're really bringing us value. And if they're not, let's figure out why we're making these estimates and make sure that we are doing something wise rather than just by default using estimates because it makes it easy to make decisions. That's a good wrap up, huh? Well said. So somebody's going to tweet that uh, back to me, and I'm going to be very ashamed of what I said. But there you go. This week's hottest picks. This week, I'm going to go first. Uh, my pick this week is the top 70 programming quotes of all time. I have to let you know that there's there's some duplicates in there, so you don't quite get 70. I don't know who curated that list, but they let some duplicates through. But uh, I've got the link to it in the show notes. Go out there, check it out. There's some there's some gems out there that you can use in your use on use on your team in the future and drop some knowledge on them, maybe. All right, Lee, what do you have for your picks this week? So this actually came up as uh, a a discussion I had at uh, at my current uh, location, and they they pointed me to this article, which is really about a previous uh, blog post. Um, so this is Eric, I'm going to screw up this last name, Eric Meijer, uh, Meijer, uh, Agile must be destroyed once and for all, is the, is the name of the article. And there's a great picture of uh, Frodo about to throw the, uh, the ring into, the, into the, uh, the volcano there. Oh, doom. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the actual article is in defense of of agile and why some of the the uh comments made by uh uh major originally uh aren't quite on target but it's still a great discussion to be having uh especially in light of the question everything thing uh stuff that we were talking about with woody excellent i'm looking forward to checking that out reading that and uh seeing where i agree and disagree thanks for that pick lee Okay, Nate, what do you have for us this week? All right, I have a couple, and I think these are um, right in line with our topic today because it's it's another case of questioning something that's just always 
always been there and seems like everyone should do them the same way and and not really looking at what the root causes are. So the first one is uh, is an article or a blog post um, and it doesn't have a title. I think it's called the hiring post, um, but it's about how the software developer job interview doesn't work. That's the first sentence. And it goes on to tell a story about um, an employee that this particular company and they're a security software company had hired that they never would have hired if they had used traditional uh, interview methods and uh, and then talks, you know, kind of defends that and then goes into a discussion of what it is that they do. And um, they have some kind of unique ways of of determining which developers they should get. And it's different from anything I've read before. And I've read some other companies that have tried to um, tried to deal with this problem. So it, I found it interesting. I would definitely recommend reading it and see what you think. Uh, I'm not totally sure um, if if we if our company would do all of these things, but it certainly is going to make us think a little bit. Um, but then it related to that is an announcement of uh, a very interesting idea in this same realm called Starfighter. And the idea is of creating a game that uh, in order to progress within the game and accomplish things, you have to um, solve programming problems and uh, that you would have to go and research, you know, the, the solution to, to be able to figure out. And uh, it, it would inspire people to play the game. It would be fun. You'd be with other people and playing it. And at the same time, would establish your ability to solve programming problems and could replace the technical interview. Use that to evaluate potential developers. So it's just something it sounds like they're getting started on. They just announced it yesterday. And it uh, sounds really, really fascinating. So I have a link to that. And, uh, and we'll see how that comes on. That sounds like some interesting stuff. I'm... I'm looking at Starfighter. That's the the name of the game, right? They call it Starfighter. Sorry. Interesting. I I love this concept of. I've always wanted a way that I could use my programming as as like a skill in in a game like that. So, exactly. I, I would love to try this out. I'm going to keep my eye on that. Good picks, Nate. Thank you. And Woody, thank you so much for coming back to this Agile Life and speaking with us about this complex multifaceted topic that is no estimates and for continuing your conversation that you've been having for many years uh, around the topic of no estimates. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. I think we've enjoyed it as well, Woody. Thank you so much. We'd love to have you back again in the future. We'll have to see if we can get that arranged. Cool. I'd love to come back anytime. And I hope we'll see you, at least I'll see you maybe up at uh, Agile Games 2015 in Boston. I'd, I'd love to go. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to that this year, but uh, I'm going to try and get out like I have in the past to every opportunity I have uh, to the different conferences. And, and that's a particularly great one. I really, I really loved the Agile Games. Woody, where, uh, where else other than your Woody Zool on Twitter, right? Yes. yes. Where, where else could people contact you? Is that the best place? Oh, that's the, for right now, that's probably the best thing. You know, I do have my blogs, um, the, the mob programming blog. That's a less contentious topic, <laughs> and uh, it's the one I like. And then uh, the, my, you know, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Agility blog that I've written all my no estimates little posts about. So any of those is good. Well, I'll include those links in our show notes so everybody can have an easy time getting in touch with Mr. Woody Zool. Woody, thanks Thanks again. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. All right. That's all we have time for today. Check out thisagilelife.com for these show notes, our past episode with Woody, and all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.